Hi guys, welcome back to We Read the News So You Don't Have To. So this is a news recap podcast from Zoda Pop by Zirap Media. And every episode, we come on and share different stories that are relevant to young adults in Singapore, whether it's some serious news or some light-hearted ones as well. I'm Joan, your host, and without further ado, let's dive straight into our first piece of news for today. So the first news is Ang Mo Kio Selective End Block Replacement Scheme, where new options of replacement flats with shorter leases of 50 years or less, says HDB Letter to Residents. So residents of four HDB blocks at Amokyo Avenue 3 that have been selected to undergo the Selective End Block Redevelopment Scheme will be given two options of replacement flats with leases less than half the usual 99 years, according to a letter by HDB to residents dated July 2nd. So in the letter that was delivered by HDB officers to residents on Saturday, HDB said that Affected residents can purchase a three-room or larger new replacement flat on a 50-year lease. So that second option will allow residents to take up a lease buyback scheme for their existing SERS flats and buy a new replacement flat on a shorter lease similar to that left on their SERS flats after selling the lease to HDB. These two new options, which are believed to be a first for SERS, are in addition to the existing option of buying a new replacement flat on a fresh 99-year lease. So in a Facebook post on Saturday, National Development Minister Desmond Lee wrote these additional options are offered with our seniors in mind to allow them to continue to have a home for life after SARS and live in new flats in a familiar environment while addressing their concerns of topping up for a replacement flat of comparable type or size. HDB said that the 50-year lease offered in the latest option will be close to the balance lease of the residents, existing flat by the time they move out around the year of 2027 or 2028. So with a shorter lease flat, you should be able to take up new replacement flats of a similar size as your existing flat without having to pay a top-up amount, HDB said. So to be eligible to exercise this option, HDB said applicants must be at least 45 years old at the point of SARS announcement. So this ensures that the lease of new flats can cover residents until they are at least the age of 95 and provide them with a home for life. So HDB said that this group of buyers will still have to meet the minimum occupation period of 5 years before they can sell the flat on the open market. As for those who are 65 years or older at present, HDB said that they can opt to take up the lease buyback scheme for their existing sales flats. So HDB explained that this scheme allows senior residents to monetize any remaining lease of their flats that they may not need to meet their retirement needs. So under this scheme, HDB said that such flat owners can retain 15 to 35 years of the lease in 5-year increments of their existing flat that will cover them to at least the age of 95 and sell the remaining tail-end lease to HDB. So they must sell back at least 20 years of lease to HDB. The proceeds can then be used to top up their CPF retirement amount and purchase a CPF life plan that will provide them for monthly payout for life. They will also enjoy a lease buyback cash bonus of $30,000 if the sales flat is a 3-room unit or $15,000 bonus for a 4-room flat. So in any case, HDB said that in view of the sales exercise, this group of flat owners will also receive market compensation for the balance lease of their flats they retain. So I think the main concern for this would be to ensure that residents are able to afford moving to these new estates. So according to the news article, many of these people are actually retirees and they really have settled down in the estate. So moving to newer estates will mean that they will have new additional financial burdens and also they have to make like new friends since they will be very used to their neighbours around them. But I'm glad that the government is providing many options to help the residents transition well and are reacting to the residents' responses to this issue quickly as well.
So the next news will be about the COVID wave. So according to Minister for Health, Ong Ye Kong, he said that the current COVID-19 wave will not be as severe as the Omicron wave earlier this year. So the authorities have anticipated this wave when they learn of the BA4 and BA5 subvariants. So Minister Ong said that the reason for the lower severity will be because many of us Singaporeans have gained stronger immunity, either through booster shots or recovery from infections, lowering the circulation and transmission of the viruses. So at the peak of the earlier Omicron wave, Singapore saw about 18,000 new COVID-19 cases daily. So Tuesday's COVID-19 caseload is expected to be more than 12,000, about 10% more than Tuesday last week, he said adding that Tuesday is always the day where cases spike up. So the recent, the percentage of the recent COVID-19 infections caused by the BA4 and BA5 subvariants were about 50%, and Minister Ong added that it has been doubling every week, starting from 3% to 5%, then 8%, then 16%, and 30% last week, and at 50% this week. So he expects that it will be at 70-80% to 80% next week, and added that this was a more dominant sub-variant compared to BA2. So as regards to Singapore's hospital capacity, Mr. Ong said that the key to managing the next wave is to ensure that Singapore's hospital capacity is not overly stressed. He also said that Singapore is ensuring high vaccination and booster coverage, as well as making sure healthcare institutions and facilities are prepared and ready to ramp up capacity if they are if there are increased emissions. So as of noon on Monday, there were 631 people in hospital, with 74 requiring oxygen supplementation and 14 in the ICU. There are also sufficient beds in the COVID-19 treatment facilities for serious cases that do not need hospital care, said Mr. Ong, and he added that such COVID-19 treatment facilities are about 25% occupied. In anticipating the wave of infections, the government has maintained the indoor masking requirements even when cases were low and stable to moderate the infection rate when the new wave arrives. So Mr. Ong did say that if Singapore wants to reduce the infection rate even further, more stringent safe management measures will need to be implemented. And that means reintroducing things like group sizes, capacity limits, and masking outdoors. So however, he did add that the government is trying its best to avoid these steps, especially if we are reasonably confident that our hospital capacity can hold up and that we are determined to live with COVID-19 and continue our journey of endemicity. So I guess the main concern when hearing this news would be that Singapore might have to go back to smaller group sizes and if serious, potentially might have to lead to another circuit breaker. But I'm glad that the government is doing their best to cope with the increasing size of patients with COVID-19 and that the healthcare sector is also ready for the next wave. And this is a shout out to all healthcare workers out there who have been working so tirelessly in ensuring that everyone is safe. So I will encourage people out, out there to continue to stay safe, continue to sanitize themselves and to make sure that they remain responsible in terms of their health. So the next headline will be that Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong launches the Forward Singapore exercise to canvas public views on policies with countries at crossroads. So the nation's fourth generation leaders will embark on a new year-long public consultation exercise dubbed Forward Singapore. So the exercise is aimed at refreshing Singapore's social compact while identifying how everyone can contribute towards charting a new path forward together. So during his speech, Mr Wong explained that Social compact as a shared understanding of how all of us in society relate to one another. So what should the government, employers and the community do for workers and individuals? What are our obligations as individuals to one another and to society? So Mr Wong said that it was a good time to review as Singapore finds itself at crossroads, outlining different struggles such as the war in Europe, fueling global inflation, a possible recession and rising geopolitical tensions especially between US and China disrupting supply chains. Domestically, 
Singapore has to deal with a number of social trends with long-term consequences, such as a rapidly aging population and a concern that mobility that social mobility is slowing. So he further acknowledges that the people were worried about not doing well enough and being left behind. Mr Wong highlighted the importance of the Forward Singapore Roadmap, stressing that if social compact fails, Singapore will become a low-trust society and will fracture. Conversely, if Singapore strengthens its social impact, it can turn its set of challenges into opportunities. So the Forward Singapore exercise will be organised along six pillars, each led by a group of 4G leaders. So these pillars include, firstly, empower in terms of economy and jobs, secondly, equip education and lifelong learning, thirdly, care in regards to health and social impact, fourthly, is building in terms of homes and living environment, and fifth, is stewarding in terms of environment and fiscal sustainability, and lastly, is uniting our Singaporean identity. So he hopes to have hard, honest conversations about these concerns and how we can tackle them together. So Mr Wong will be leading the team of 4G leaders in this effort to consult Singaporeans, which will accumulate in a report to be published mid-2023 that will set out policy recommendations. So it's a good initiative by the government to really re look at what has been going on with so much recent changes in the world and to hear what Singaporeans really feel about this in order to help Singapore come up with good policies and help us progress further as a country. So the last news will be a summary by this BBC podcast that has interviewed Minister of Home Affairs, Mr K. Shamugan, about how Singapore will have to choose between the US and China. So in this podcast, they spoke about various issues that were happening in Singapore. So firstly, Stephen Sekram, a reporter from BBC, asked Minister Shamugan's thoughts on the drugs and death penalty. So Minister Shamugan stated that his stand about the death penalty is that it is the right policy to deal with drug abuse, since drugs damages families. So he gave the example of how in the US, there were more than 100,000 deaths due to drug abuse. So when asked about the case of the individual who was caught for trafficking drugs, he pointed out that although he was said to have intellectual disability, the courts found that he had the working of a criminal mind and he made a deliberate, purposeful, calibrated, calculated decision to make money to bring the drugs in and that even his own psychiatrist had confirmed that he was not intellectually disabled. So he highlighted that the drug penalty has protected and saved thousands of lives from drug abuse and that many a times when news talk about the drug penalty in Singapore, they always focus on the one case but did not show the other side of the stories on how the penalty had actually saved many lives. So moving on to the topic of homosexuality as a criminal act, Minister Shamugan stated that the position in Singapore is that people engaging in gay sex will not be prosecuted, even though the old piece of law states otherwise. So the reason why the government takes this position is because there is a significant portion of the population that does not want the law repealed, and although attitudes are shifting, we cannot just ignore these views. Therefore, the government has led to this compromise. So he highlights that the government has made it very clear that the LGBTQ plus individuals are entitled to live peacefully without being attacked or threatened and that there are laws in place to protect them. So Minister Shamugan has said earlier in parliament that they have been looking at their laws and that the laws will have to change and keep pace with time and that the government is in deep consultation with stakeholders, including the LGBTQ plus community, as well as others. 
So moving on to the topic of racial discrimination, Stephen presented evidence of in both housing rental and job opportunities of how ethnic Chinese people are always favoured. He then asked Minister Shamugan if he was worried that the evidence presented about discrimination, especially against Malay people in Singapore and Indians as well. So Minister Shamugan acknowledged that racism existed in Singapore, just like how it exists in other countries but posted the question of how systematic it is and how much does it happen, and that his own experience as a minority in Singapore and experiences of many others is much less in Singapore. In regards to housing, he pointed out that most Singaporeans live in their house, and the evidence pointing that many ethnic Chinese are favoured as housing rental are foreigners who are seeking housing. When asked about having all Prime Ministers as ethnic Chinese, and asked if it was because of Indian heritage that people like Minister Shamugan would never be the Prime Minister of Singapore, Minister Shamugan actually disagreed and said that it was not accurate. As, as long as there is a good candidate, whether Malay or Indian, Minister Shamugan will not rob the possibility of a non-Chinese. When asked about his view on whether he was worried that Singapore has been described by reporters without borders as a legal monstrosity with totalitarian leanings, Minister Shamugan said that it was interesting to note that reporters without borders had ranked Singapore below many other countries such as Afghanistan, Myanmar, which has a coup, South Sudan, a country with refugee crisis. And when you uh, look at whether a young female reporter would feel safer going to a country such as Singapore versus going to a country such as this, definitely she would prefer Singapore as it is known to be very safe. So he then dismissed reporters without borders and said that they were completely nonsensical. So about the geopolitical situations that Singapore finds itself in, Minister Shamugan states that Singapore will not pick sides. So Singapore, like other countries, will want to maintain good relations with both. So he emphasised that Singapore will only go with what they think is right as shown in the sanctioning of Russia when they invaded Ukraine. So with that, we have come to the end of the episode. Make sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, subscribe, and leave a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Zirap Media. We would love if you could share this on your IG story. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon in another episode of We Read the News So You Don't Have To. Mm-hmm.